in the hindrances we spoke about yesterday. These hindrances um, are very identical with the third foundation of mindfulness. They are not somewhere on the top of the flowers outside, on top of my the head. They are in that mind space which becomes the field of attention in this uh, practice of application of mindfulness. The Buddha has in, divided into four fields. The third field is um, uh, here addressed, or it's these five um, hindrances are to be found in the third foundation. These are negative. The positive ones, if we would talk about the five factors of enlightenment, seven factors of enlightenment, we would find them in this. They would belong to the third foundation of mindfulness. But now bring your mind back to these five hindrances. They are also called kaleshas or um, um, torments of the mind. That is an, an, just another translation of Kalisha. So, uh, go through them, realize them. Desire, I introduced them yesterday. And for old students, it meant it was a uh, bringing them back into memory if they have gone astray. They are a, lot, a while around these things. One uh, reason for that, one reason uh, for this is that uh, we are talking about these five hindrances every retreat. Every teacher does it. Necessary for they are impinging upon our progress. Desire. Can you remember one? A visit of them last hour, anger, sloth, torpor, and restlessness, and doubt. Now one thing to know about it, how to handle them, is that they are mental factors, impersonal force, and um, they are, that means, they are not my possession, and I don't need to identify with them. They are really not my original beautiful self. They are my conditioning. They are a layer on top of the beautiful uh, 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 mind. They are layers. And of course, crowd and uh, out that what we could call our potential. And it cannot function. At first thing, uh, glance, we could see them as positive uh, mental states and positive mental factors or qualities of the enlightened mind. So, um, there is a simile given, perhaps, that might help us to understand them better, uh, to illustrate the effect of these different obstructions in the mind the obstructions in the mind. Imagine now a pond of clear water. 
sense desire is like the water becoming colored by pretty colored, by pretty dyes. Now, our mind usually becomes entranced, entranced and delighted by, by the beauty of um, such uh, lovely colors. And uh, so if our mind <coughs> is doing it, we cannot penetrate into the depths of, uh, of our being. Anger and ill will or aversion is like boiling water. Water that is boiling is very turbulent. Can you see it boiling? And you cannot see through to the bottom either. This kind of turbulence in the mind the va is our violent reaction of hatred and aversion and there in our minds and it is a great obstacle to what? To understand something correctly when our mind boils like this. Um, sloth and torpor is like pond of um, sloth and torpor is like the pond of water covered by algaes, very dense, very ha slow in moving. One cannot possibly penetrate to the bottom because one cannot see through the algaes. It's a heavy mind. When tiredness, loss and torpor is penetrating it, it's like the algaes in the water. We cannot look through, we cannot get in touch with any inside. Heavy mind, dense, foggy, schlep, schlep. <laughs> Restlessness is the opposite, it's another one. And worry are like a pond when being swept by a wind, the surface of the water is agitated at that time by strong winds. When the mind is influenced by restlessness and worry, it's the same, like the wind on the surface of the water. It just dances and bounces around in all directions. Would I like that moment to go, but I don't know how to decide extreme pain and pressure and not to, of course in that state of mind no insight possibly can arise it has closed the doors to any kind of clear thinking and contemplating or reflecting understand we all know this so when the mind is influenced by restlessness and worry all these things to, um, um, inside or correct and quiet reflection are impossible. Now the last one is doubt and it is likened with the water that when being muddy. So see the mind now being penetrated by doubt 
It has the muddy quality. It somehow is obscured, murky and cloudy, clouded. Nothing can penetrate here through of the nature of clarity or right understanding or investigating. So these are nice images. They're not mine, they come from the scriptures. Buddha has given these images. There are now several ways how to handle these these uh, qualities in our minds when the mind boils with anger or is um, fascinated uh, by the desires and plays with them, self-forgotten. So, um, so it, mm, there are ways to deal with them. For the, we have to deal with them, there are hindrances for the progress on the development of mindfulness. Hmm? So what is the first good remedy for it? Recognizing them. To see them clearly in each moment. That's difficult when they are ra- ra- racing through our minds. But to recognize them as sense desire. And that already puts a damper upon it. We have a little bit time now to look at that desire. Is it necessary to fulfill? Is it appropriate to have it now? And to engage myself with it now. So, anger, sloth and torpor, restlessness and doubt, again have the same treatment as they arise recognizing them. That's number one. Mind acknowledges, now is doubt in my consciousness. Predominant. Has even made a whole consciousness out of it. Or it's it's tiredness. Or it is um, um, restlessness. Sloth and torpor. Or anger or desire. That very recognition, and I think we should really keep that a little bit in mind, to really hold to it and be able to make this recognition when they are up and bothering us. That is the point, that moment when they arise, that we recognize them, that moment. If we don't keep that in our consciousness, we will be overrun by them and recognizing is past and then they have more power. Hmm? So we depower them, really. And when we can recognize them as they're at their arising, most powerful, most effective way of overcoming them. Now there are other ways, but this is the most one. When the clear mind, the calm mind, the mind which can, uh, spacious, and understands they are hindrances if I engage. And now I make a mental notation. There is anger in me. And that is quite different. That has depowered to a great extent this, uh, this hindrance.
So, no better aspect do we have available in our mind than this, um, uh, this mindfulness which can recognize. And mindfulness means, on another, from another view, no criticizing, no condemning, no clinging, and above all, not identifying with the object. That means, I don't feel it is mine. It is an, I said before, it's an impersonal force. It's just a visitor and uninvited. All the hindrances, we should realize, have, since they have the quality or the nature of arising, they have the nature of going away. So they are subject to, to disappear, for, for, for dissolution. So if we could re recollect ourselves in this, we just needed to be patient, holding them in our awareness as that hindrance and uh, um, they will pass away because soon the mind will get into something else. And actually, unconsciously, this is what we experience. We are angry this moment and we didn't know how we got to the, uh, the next moment to a little bit of more contentment or to a smile. We don't realize, we just are like the reed in the wind the branch in the wind, always pushed back and forth. So now we bring awareness into it, and that's an entirely different experience now. We, we bring a mastery into this um, uh, process we are living. And that means also understanding. So they are impermanent, we realize that. Why? Because they had, have the quality or the nature to arise. Everything what has the nature to, of arising has the nature of disappearing. Look at your own life. Where's your babyhood? Do you, if you glance at your whole life, where, where are we going? To disappear. That's our nature. <laughs> So they are really like clouds in the sky. They also arise and they wiggle around a little bit and they pass away into new forms. So if we are mindful of them, when they arise and we don't react, we don't identify, we don't cling to them, we just be kind of in abeyance realizing, even if we are a little bit uncomfortable about it and we let them pass for just because we know they are passing. We don't need to wait for it. Just to acknowledge, realize they will pass. We don't, are not worried at that moment how they should pass and how they are going. But the justice understanding will take care of that process. So they just move through the mind as they came in and they move, and they move on. Maybe find their way into another mind. <laughs> well, it is floating around. 
So in this way we, we succeed de, depowering these faculties. Mindfulness is really therefore the most effective way of dealing with them. And that happens in the first moments of their arising. Now there are also other little specific antidotes for um, uh, working with these hindrances. Let's take desire. Our strong desires somehow um, are difficult to overcome and to shake. And so we can reflect also a little bit and realize maybe we find out they have a connection, these desires, to um, the way we um, um, satisfy them and, in, let, and increase them in, in this way. Um, one way of uh, reflecting in order to reduce the desires is if it is a lustful desire and you want right now to go to the movies or you want to, to, to have holidays right now or you need right now somebody to cuddle and uh, to be close to and it's not around. How do you deal with these strong desires? Sexual desires and lust desires, anger desires. So one way is to realize um, your body is uh, subject to change. That means it is moving as change and toward decaying. And one day all of us, even the objects you desire this moment, will end up as corpse. That helps. <laughs> that is a real wet towel for your desire. <laughs> you know, it, it comes to my mind. <laughs> yeah, you see the, what you desire? As a corpse, you run. You run. Beautiful medicine. Very good. So, and in a similar way, it wasn't sexual desires which I wanted to overcome or which I tied to, um, the, um, yeah, the, the desire was actually going in the move, to the movies. But at the same time, I found myself, it was in the early, long time ago in Germany, I lived opposite a movie theater. So the temptation was tremendous, and I at that time had great interest in these things. So um, I also realized that I wanted to save money to avail to a very dear person of my family to come from East Germany to West Germany in holiday. Hmm? And I, it was only possible if I provided for it. So I saved, was finding myself in being thrifty. So I had often the five marks in my hand and was crossing the road to that movie. And then I remembered, oh, you want to save five marks? Well, in two hours the movies are over. And what did I gain from it? My five marks in back into the pocket, 
back into the drawer where I saved them. And after two hours, I did a deep breath. I looked down, people all coming out and saying, you all lost your five dollar marks and I still have it. And uh, you have nothing really gained by it. It's over now. Have you, how many movies have you seen? Plenty. How many can you remember? And what good do they do for you now? You see, in this way, you, you sometimes temper a little bit the desire. I don't suggest you should not go to the movie or should not have any desire fulfilled, but tempering it. Otherwise, my dear friends, believe me, we're becoming a little puppet of our desire system. Not only in the meditation, during the meditation, but also in our lives is it very detrimental. Here, a Chinese recluse and poet perceived this very clearly. A curtain of pearls hangs before the hall of jade, and within a lovely lady, fairer in form than the gods and the immortals, her face like a blossom of peach or plum. Spring mists will cover the eastern mansion. Autumn winds blow from the western lodge. And after thirty years have passed, she will look like a piece of pressed sugar cane. <laughs> he knew how to do it, see? He, he didn't go as far as a corpse, he saw just everything looks like a sugar cane, crushed, shrunk, shrunken, shriveled. Yeah. So this, um, believe me, this kind of reflection, as gruesome as it must, as it may sound, not for vipassana meditators. I see you have fun with it, but you tell it to your, to some of your friends who has no practice of meditation, they tell you, get out here. Hmm? Frightening such thoughts. This kind of reflections for us, we can take it, weakens really lust, uh, la uh, desires, lustful desires. And um, we become, at the same time, a little bit more aware of the eminency of our own death. You know, there are wise and awakened people who suggested that um, death should be your good advisor. Remember that um, uh, Don Juan, yeah, that book? That means you, you realize this is a fact in our lives and uh, that everything ended up there, no matter how great and wonderfully you have dis fulfilled the desires. And it also we realize that it is not for some, it is for all. That also allows you sweetly to smile and maybe bowingly to accept it. We have to we really cannot uh, uh, sense the uniqueness of the present moment. 
when we do not feel this urgency or this truth in ourselves. So, back to desire again. I mentioned restraint before and now um, the um, um, recollection of death and uh, impermanence and there, now we may realize that there is a tr strong correlation between the degree of desire we experience and between overindulgence in food and sleep. Moderation and restraint in eating and sleeping weakens the factor of desire and brings greater clarity into the mind. You see, when you eat too much, I don't need actually to talk about it, you know that you are feeling heavy and that there is very little, um, besides that one feels tired and lustless, but one feels also somehow um, difficult to penetrate this body because body is, is, is um, having a bigger weight. I felt that in the last course in Germany tremendously, the first day was actually right away, the first and the second. When I ate, I became especially tired after each meal. And when I was sitting down, I had a extra work to do and bring for energy forth to penetrate uh, this heaviness which came from the food. So it took me too much time to, to come into deeper um, um, penetrative awareness whilst I was sitting with the group. And I didn't have that much time available. The time when I am not talking and just sitting with the group is not so much for me. So I just said, it's enough. I said, no food anymore. And I went through the whole retreat without eating, just juices drinking. And I didn't drink black tea, and I didn't eat, and I had the most marvelous penetrative meditations in greatest ease. And I didn't miss any, and I was not tired. So there is something um, to look at when we feel so heavy and cannot recuperate from our tiredness which we bring from outside, from the active, activeness of life. <clears throat> if it is still around on the third day, then we have to look into it more seriously and relate now to the amounts I am eating and to the uh, how many times I allow also um, to hang out in the tea area. So that um, is a very important factor also to uh, consider at home when when we um, um, experience excessive tiredness. It has something to do with indulgence in food or sleep. Who can confirm that in terms of sleep, the more you slept eight hours and you are still tired, 
there's definitely something wrong. Four hours should be adequate for a good meditator. You could end the come by even with three hours. But six hours would be normal and good enough. So, now ill will, that is a way to, to deal with um, this, um, this um, um, hindrance desire. It is a strong force, for it is also t- close, tight into the, t- the force we can call greed. And if you go deeper than greed, then you see the life force itself wanting to live. So the desire is uh, just doing that, wanting to live. Hmm? It's uh, tied into it. I may talk about these deeper tendencies one day. Yeah, so so very much. So now let's look at anger. Just this one and the other three maybe a little later. Anger and aversion, we can see um, hatred is a part of it, also derivatives or branching uh, offsprings of uh, hate, hatred. And now the best way of dealing with those uh, hindrances is, oh, is again to be aware of them, to be mindful and um, to be quick when it arises who has not experienced we are sitting quietly and suddenly you are filled don't know how it came about with ill will toward a person you haven't thought in a long time isn't it true? it's around this ill will and it finds moments where you have nothing no attention there and there it is so then what do we do? we sit back and we notice now, anger. Don't need to say, I am angry, I have anger. Anger. When you feel inside, kind of tensing up, and somehow a revengeful feeling comes up, or the need to get even with somebody, these, are crea- these emotions are creating this emotion of anger. Then you sit back, realize anger is there and you experience now um, the whole body, the whole posture which belongs to that anger, which arises out of every pore of your sitting body and um, just simply realize it has arisen so it will pass away. It's, it, it is strong the moment you identify with it and uh, feel even righteous about it. Uh, because someone has done something bad to you, uh, you, you, you can be very easily overrun by it. But here we have an alternative now. Instead of indulging now in these negative uh, um, angry thoughts and the contemplations how you can get even or 
just uh, get just with that person. Uh, you you uh, just uh, um, let it um, be known to you that this is happening, and you are consciously now holding everything in abeyance, noticing the effect of this angry emotion, which is uh, in your body. Somewhere you will feel tension. And in this way, you can, if you remember that one can, you have an alternative now, you can gently bring, a, a, turn the mind into thoughts of loving-kindness. Maybe not right away to that person you are just have murdered, but just loving-kindness to life. May all beings be happy. You see, you are just overrun by this emotion. And you also feel that moment. Everyone experiences this. Most people don't know how to handle it. And you see yourself being able to handle it by just allowing now to bring in positive thoughts, thoughts of, of, of metta, for all breathing that are li- uh, for all li- beings that are breathing, just general or for life, and then you may f- feel it is a little ease already there because you move away from these hating thoughts, and then it, you feel it feels safer now. You're not anymore so 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 delicate, so 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 tense, so. Um, uh, overpowered by this anger, now you may even dare or probe yourself if you could se- send loving thoughts to that person you were angry with. Then you may be able to uh, uh, witness the dissipation of that power which just a minute ago threatened to overrule you. We can do um, practice this way also at home. Another way on the concrete level is if that person is far away and you know it may not have received your wishes and you would like to let that person know that you have not that angry attitude anymore, you send a gift a little card, a greeting, a peaceful greeting, or a suggestion for reconciliation. There are many ways to deal with these different instances or events which we call disharmony and and, um, um, hardship of suffering creating energies. It is really hard to stay angry whilst you are creating loving thoughts. You can, you can try. God, I wished I could chop off his head. May all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. Terrible. When is he? When is he learning? Why is he insulting me always? May all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. You alternate. And. Finally, you will move through. Jean has told me many occasions uh, that she has done that. 
then she took, and I have suggested that, her hands as a guidance. And so it was an additional uh, uh, object of attention now. One for the thumb. May all beings be happy, may all beings be happy, may all beings be happy, may all beings be happy. Oh, terrible, he's still insulting it. How am I going to get even with him? Oh, I'm forgetting. May all beings be happy. Because I didn't go through, I must do it again now, without interruption. May all beings be happy, may all beings be happy, may all beings be happy, may all beings be happy. And you see it already coming. May all beings be happy. That's your own television show, darling. That's all what you have. You're alive. Why do you look at other lives? They only play out these things. And you, you encourage it in you only. Look at little children, how they act out these violent things they see in the television. We don't, we don't think it, we, we are not influenced by it. That's not true. We are. Imperceptibly do we get influenced by these negative things we see and engage and see in the television screen. So, this is um, another way to, <laughs> to um, deal with anger is, and you must realize the anger is never directed toward the cloud or toward a sand grain, or maybe sometimes it is, is directed toward a situation and mostly toward people. Now, the, if you let yourself come a little bit in understanding of karma, remember what karma is? I talked about it the first evening. We are the heirs of our karma. So if I do um, bad things now, angry things now, I inherit the results of those. I'm the heir of those. Nobody else will inherit that stuff. I am the heir. So if you somebody, you see, transfer that now to the one you hate and are angry and constantly find yourself uh, punishing that person, you now realize, for what it has done to you, now you realize he is doing it for no other reason but for being the heir of his karma. He cannot really help it. He's just expressing and acting out his karma, his, the result of his actions. He has trained himself a lot of times to be angry, to be nasty, to be insensitive, to be exploitive, whatever you feel he has done to you or she. And this is inheritance which he has now exercised on you. So you, it's, it's a different response now in you occurring to that person. Your heart can open at such contemplation and understanding of your anger. Why should you be angry now? You cannot help it. The heart opens in compassion now. And if you have now an opportunity or the chance to be close and come to an um, encounter 
or a meeting, you have uh, available in a very natural way a heart of forgiveness or um, a heart with friendliness and not a heart of criticizing, hatred and punishment. Or you have even available mentioned compassion. Compassion means also helping. If you find, can find, if you find a right moment to communicate with that person on that level, giving him advice or her how to um, let go of such exploitive or insulting behaviors. So there is a wide scope, my dear friends, to deal with these strong emotions or torments of the mind in the medita- during our meditation time or in our lives. And at the same time, we're developing insight. We're developing our spiritual qualities and we really are on the path. The moment you come into fight and make everything rigid and uh, see everything as unmoving and overpowering you and a big problem, you are not anymore on the path. And we have closed the door to, the, to let insight arise or wisdom. So these are the first two. The other three we do another time, when, as we go along, yeah? This would be too much. You think you got some clues and uh, could maybe in, with greater ease allow these spaces to be in you, the anger, the desire, and to deal with them. I'm interested in what you talked about desire being an expression of life force underneath it all. And you said you would talk about that. Well, I don't, you know, actually I talked already. It is a life force. That is the force which wants to live. Do you want to die? Nobody wants to die. We are carefully driving on the highway that we don't run into that big truck because we know we, we die. We don't want to die. There is a very um, natural survival instinct in every life. And so we are careful. Most people, also we're not always bad. Most people are not always careful. So that is a desire and a strong force to perpetuate this life, to not give it up, and also to perpetuate it. And whilst you live, everything you do, you are really um, um, satisfying this desire to live more comfortably, more with greater ease, and even if you are not succeeding so much because in the absence of awareness we don't succeed to live with greater ease. But it is life force which, which um, um, pulls us and forges us forward to do this and to do that. 
even if we schlep it sometimes and are lazy in it, but it's still moving. Hmm? Somebody um, in that mood would come to you and said, now look, why don't you just die right now? You would perk up why don't, and would say, why, why should I? You would be probably awake that moment and leave your tiredness behind. So um, then uh, this life force also manifests itself as greed. Wanting is greed. There is one <coughs> uh, in its strongest force, greed, that is now um, that force which wants just to satisfy this what comes from here without any consideration. You see, that's what humankind in, in general does. Me and mine has to be satisfied. That's why we hurt each other so much, without care and understanding that the others do the same. So they, at one point it is too much for the others and they will help us curtailing our, our greed. And if it is very dangerous, then there are laws and say, now you are not anymore a good citizen. You are harming too much because of your greed. You steal, you corrupt, you do all the kinds of things. Greed. You want more than you can digest and or hoard and uh, you want... Uh, and that, in, on top of it, is hurting others. So this greed. Look around what people do. It functions all the time. We, as we pass in our meditators, become now aware of this force in us. It's a real living force. And again, here can come great compassion into your heart when you understand when somebody has been exploitive and wanted more desire, uh, wanted more gratification for his lust or more greedy for, for, for more drinking, for more drugs, for more money, for, um, a, for a better partner, and yet wasn't, it's not enough. Another one maybe will be better. Greed is in all of it. So now we become aware of this force in general wanting another cup of tea. I shouldn't have it. It is our life really concerned here. And um, on the, from the wider view and from the view of more open awareness and that means also understanding how this force fits into our lives and, and how it it deals with us, or how we deal with it. Actually, it deals with us when we are not aware. Now we wake up and we modify. Wherever we can see greediness and undue desires, which are impossible at this moment, let's say, you recognize them as inappropriate, as disturbance, for your practice, 
In other moments it would not be maybe so disturbing. And you discover it, you are too greedy for tea, you really don't need it. And if you need it because of the taste, now you say, no, no, today only one cup of tea at that particular time. And so you walk, you find yourself walking to it and have already the cup in the hand and the other one already turning. It's not too late to remember, let go. Remember, five marks in my pocket, same thing. Greedy for movies. Was greedy for having the money, but not really. It was for the purpose of the joy of somebody who would, uh, could experience coming out of that restricted region, East Germany to West. Hmm? Some joy. So, it's a vast field, this life, to look into all regions. And it will take your lifetime. Don't, don't worry, don't be afraid. Um, yeah. It will not happen so fast to awaken to all of it. And you don't need to awaken to all of it right away. And don't be afraid, you will not uh, get to it. What you get will be so wonderful and um, um, will give you the patience to get the next little bit and the next inside. So, um, back to your question. So you now begin to work on very modest levels to discover, to detect this, this is a force. This, uh, a, this is kind of mind, which wants. One characteristic is here to observe, that it always wants us, it puts you always into the future. You see? And it tenses you up, just like the, the anger in a different way, because you, everything is now there, what directed toward the object and which you want. And oft, most in the cases, what we want, we don't want. Then when we got it, there are two calamities. One is uh, not to get what I want, and the other one is to get it. <laughs> it's just wonderful. It's, it's also greed. So now you will be cut down, and uh, you can be. It's, it's a privilege to work with it. You should feel very happy when you discover that, and not a, a, a kind of denigrate yourself or disapprove of you. Be angry with that uh, un, that uh, unwholesome state. If you don't then you begin to cling to it, because now you bring another hindrance to that hindrance, anger to the desire, you see? So you fortify it again. It's difficult, you see? And it's all mental. It's nothing. It's not like here I pick something up and I place it here, and I place this here, and now I have order. I know it. I could do it. But how can you do it with this? You shift it around a little bit too much, then it, then it impinges on something else, 
and that is connected with something else again, and, uh, and you, can, you get lost in tracing the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so you just fall back into the old habit. Ah, oh, I have my cup of tea anyway now. <laughs> Oh, my drink, or whatever. So, have a little joy in these things, working. It's not so grim. It's your life. Do you love anything more than your life? That's what you really love. Although we act like we don't. Because we're hooked into one thing. We want it pleasant. It isn't always pleasant. <laughs> we have to work with that too. Buddha knew that. Gave us, a gave us a, 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 an extra practice for that. Established a, 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 a um, foundation, a field of, for mindfulness called um, Vedana, pleasant or unpleasant. Learn now about this. Look how much we have to do. It's fun if you really allow yourself to have an open heart and don't desert yourself. Love yourself. Realize your love for yourself, for your life. Though you will, um, don't, will not get stuck and into civil, these civil wars or into these angers and into these torments of the mind. They're really tough. So, let's take these to heart and uh, maybe the whole day dedicate to your desire system. Detect it at various occasions. I did not say you shouldn't have any desires and uh, um, this is the end of your desires now. No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's impossible. You had to uproot and to kill even the desire to live. But that would be a desire then too, to not live. People have that desire too. But here is to create in a space, spaciousness in yourself, an open heart which is able to let it arise and to see all desire. Now see in which direction it goes and where it will lead you and what an effect it can have and where that is appropriate right now. So one cup of tea this morning in the dining room whilst walking period is enough. And maybe none is necessary. Or maybe none would be better. So detect it also when you are outside. They are creeping in, into all, all variations, subtle ones and gross ones. And also become aware at home what, in what is human mind mostly engaged, fulfilling desires on all levels. So, um, 
enjoy this process. And here in our meditation, our desires cannot really go so far. Um, It's already helped us along. Silence, no talk. Notice that desire to whisper, to talk, to go off with a partner, or to sneak into the other room and talk it over, and so on. See, that's desire. I want to talk, I want to express myself, I want to be understood, I want to understand more. It's another desire. You don't get out of it. So here, however, we are helped a little bit along desire, um, silence. And uh, at tea time we don't get much to eat. At lunch you can fill up a little bit more, or as much as you like. But here you watch your desires. And that level, when it is enough, in terms of being nourished and having stilled the hunger, or when you are starting now to eat because of pleasant feelings, because I like it. So we become refined with our minds. And that has an, an effect upon our action and interaction. More and more do we become clear what mind is doing. And through that alone do we train it to its natural beauty and behavior. Enough for now. When is uh, lunch time? Today is Tuesday. Oh, it's also 12. It's now. Interfere in our um, meditation. And we also are also very much conditioned in it. We think uh, uh, what we feel, um, we have to, 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 to do right away, in terms of desire. We become now discerning. What is, what is necessary, what is possible, what is appropriate. And just by that understanding we reduce. And then more and more you may reduce. And then you have the desires and you say, well, it's necessary. I must feed myself. I must be caring for myself. You discern what is for your well-being what is for the benefit of your practice, what is for the benefit of a harmonious um, meditation and development of awareness. So, and more and more, do you, do you move forward to the real beauty of your being? So let's um, close and bring your thoughts now to your mouth and to the feelings of hunger. Notice the shifting of your attention to this sensation and to the sensation of hearing the call to break to, for the lunch.
it has stopped right now. So go back to that feeling of hunger, which is really um, what we are going to satisfy now. There is the bell ringing, hear the sound. Investigate that feeling once again, what we call hunger. And we have a meal now, we call lunch, our main meal to satisfy this hunger by which we nurture, nourish our body. We dedicate this meal for being mindful and in that way we learn to reduce our unnecessary desires which may arise whilst we are eating. So we are dedicating this meal we are going to eat for the Dharma. We realize in that food we eat um, many labors have been involved many human hands in preparing, in harvesting, in transporting it. Many energies have contributed to it. The suns, the warmth of the sun, the waters as rain or irrigation, the darkness of the night, the nights, the freshness of the air or the winds. So we are really, if you can allow this thought and realize that connecting ourselves to the wide universe, we're not eating alone, we eat energy provided by the universe. May all beings have always enough energies to eat, to nourish their bodies. And uh, may our mindfulness in this way be received as the blessings of our male. Sadhu Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.